Remember, remember the 5th of November, the gunpowder, treason, and plot. I know of no reason why the gunpowder treason should ever be forgot. Welcome to Now Playing's DC Comics Hitmen Retrospective Series. There are only murderers in this room. Continuing our look at movies based on DC Comics characters, Arnie, Stuart, and Jacob will be reviewing the film adaptations of Road to Perdition. This is the life we chose, the life we lead. And there is only one guarantee. None of us will see heaven. A history of violence. You got anything to say before I blow your brains out, you miserable prick? V for Vendetta. Are you like a crazy person? I'm quite sure they will say so. The Losers. I am a lethal killing machine. It was a secret government experiment. It did stuff to me. Spooky stuff. Red at Red 2. Eh, they don't make them like that anymore. These podcasts will contain detailed plot spoilers and harsh language. Because it's all so fucking hysterical. Listener discretion is advised. Okay, Billy. Let's show this asshole we mean business. Today we're discussing The Losers, starring Jeffrey Dean Morgan, Zoe Saldana, Chris Evans, Idris Alba, and directed by Sylvain White. I'm Arnie, your loser co-host of Now Playing. Stuart in L.A.? That's right, bitches. This is Jacob, and I've got a crossbow. And when we say DC Hitmen, this is exactly what I thought we were going to be getting. I mean, artsy Tom Hanks movies and... Cronenberg rethinks on American gun violence and the Burger King and Natalie Portman. <laughs> that is a little bit more artsy than I think of when I think of a comic book property about killers and gunmen. And this is exactly what I thought I would be getting. But I also would add, I've never heard of this property before. That makes two of us. I'd never heard of this movie, and I consider myself pretty plugged into comic book adaptations and action movies, and I go to Comic-Con every year. This movie? Never heard of it. The fact that Chris Evans is in yet another comic book adaptation? No clue. What the hell is this? Well, look, Arnie, this isn't Spider-Man, this isn't Batman. This is another Vertigo series, that imprint of DC where they do more mature stuff. This ran about 30, 32 issues, something like that. Nominated as Best New Series. It had a big cult following. You know, it was never selling the numbers that mainstream superheroes do. But as this group of military, you know, this is very A-team. This this group of military guys and the gal that are set up by the government, sold out by the CIA. And so they go rogue. I mean, it was a very political story. And, you know, we'll see remnants of it in this film as we talk about it. But, you know, is this looking at American politics, you know, like... Alan Moore in V for Vendetta, here's another Brit, Andy Diggle, who did the Losers, looking at American politics and what happens during peacetime when that Cold War is over? What does the CIA do? What does the military do? Well, they get involved in drug running and guns and all kinds of mischief. And this was this group that was going to try to fix that about the American government, try to weed out the corruption and bring it to light. So basically, this had the fortune of being a very popular series at the time that comic book movies exploded in 2008-2009. Is that pretty much why they went with this property as opposed to, I don't know, something a little more well-known? Yeah, I'm guessing, you know, 2006 to 2008, I think, when the original run was. So, yeah, this was a popular series. It had a following. If you need an idea for an action film, why get an original script when you could just borrow something from a comic, I guess? And this seems to be very of the time. I mean, I think... Taken and the Bourne films really popularized these international spy films with heavy action. We'd get the same year, just a little bit after this, the big theatrical release of The A-Team. So, in addition to being a hot comic, this just feels like another movie that would come out around this time. It's also coming out the same summer that DC tries its hand at Jonah Hex. And a little bit before uh, they would put out Red. So I do feel like DC was maybe trying to compete with Marvel. You know, they knew that Iron Man was launching that whole Avengers initiative. 
Maybe they were just trying to grab their hottest properties. And I don't know about hottest properties when you're throwing out Jonah Hex, but they're throwing out some properties. We'll put it that way. <laughs> it does seem like that they were in defensive mode. They were grabbing what was available and pushing it forward, and maybe before it was done in the case of Jonah Hex. But it certainly seems like if this is DC versus Marvel, well, DC loses. You know, this did change hands a lot. It's worth pointing out that originally this was supposed to be the follow-up to Fantastic Four Silver Surfer for director Tim Story. You know, the guy that did Barbershop. He wanted to, yeah, do a military movie. And you can kind of see trace elements of that. I don't know if the jokes and the sense of humor come from the comic, but they definitely reflect Tim Story's Fantastic Four movies. And maybe it's also why Chris Evans is here. The humor, a lot of the dialogue is taken straight from the comic. I think they pull that off pretty well, at least, to, you know, getting this director that gets that sense of time and that sense of humor. Well, they didn't get that director. Then they went on to Peter Berg, but he ended up making, I don't know what, maybe Battleship. He was working on other stuff, but it changed hands a lot, and it could have been made by a lot of different people. It eventually fell to Sylvan White. He made Stomp the Yard, and I Know What You Did Last Summer 3. Perfectly qualified yes. to handle a losing property like this. There's a three in that series. I've only seen, I still know what you did last summer, so I'm behind. We need to do a retrospective, apparently. Or not. Arnie, why don't you give up a plot? <laughs> the losers are a U.S. Special Forces team. They're led by Colonel Clay and consist of explosives expert Roke, driver Pooch, sniper Cougar, and communications expert and hacker Jensen. The soldiers are on a mission tracking a terrorist drug lord in Bolivia. They order an airstrike, but then realize there are children on the compound, and when they try to call off the bombing, a CIA agent named Max refuses to abort. The losers break into the compound and rescue the children, but the rescue chopper can only carry one group, the kids or the losers. The losers stay in Bolivia and the children fly off, but are immediately killed by Max, who ordered a jet to fire upon the rescue chopper, thinking it was the losers who were on board. Presumed dead, the losers stay in Bolivia, but are hired by a mysterious woman named Aisha to return to the States and kill Max. Now, here's how it all plays out. A lot of twists, turns, explosions, but Max is CIA... But he's on this semi-rogue mission hiring and killing Indian scientists to create what he calls snooks. <laughs> no, it's not the snorks, smurfs, ripoff we've always hoped for, but a bomb that can destroy land and completely force it to implode with no fallout. Max ordered this opening hit on the Bolivian drug lord not to stop terrorism, but to steal $400 million in drug money to fund Snook research. And Aisha isn't interested in Max. She's actually duping the losers to retrieve the $400 million stolen from her father, the drug lord, which is now stored on a hard drive that acts like a bearer bond. Yeah, we're gonna talk about it. And then Roke gets sick of all of this and thinks that Clay's judgment is impaired since he's sleeping with Aisha, so Roke betrays the losers to Max. But as the losers are about to be executed, Aisha shows up with a rocket launcher, rescues them, a big firefight occurs, Roke is seemingly killed, the snooks are stopped, but Max escapes. The losers' good name is restored and they're able to return to their normal daily lives as credits roll. You know, these DC hitmen, they always are trotting out the kids. I've noticed it as a constant theme here of kids always uh, getting in the way of wanting to whack somebody. And darn if they don't do it here in Bolivia, right here in the opening, that we have a, what we're to presume when we see them, a very cool, hip, macho team of take-no-prisoners, and they're all melted by the sight of kids getting off a school bus and decide they can't do what they're hired to do. Exactly what Bolivian school takes a field trip to a drug lord compound? Is it like some kind of career day in Bolivia? And if it is, if it's take your daughter to work day, why isn't Aisha there? It really seems to me like they didn't do their homework on who they're putting their hit on. This is supposed to be a really smart group of people, but we're going to find out they know nothing about what they're doing here. They're essentially hired muscle to just kill somebody. Actually, to say somebody else drop a bomb. They're not needed at all. That's the great thing here. Like, you get this intro, like, it really tells you what kind of film this is, and if you're going to be able to go along with it. You know, the freeze frames, and poosh, transpo, and heavy weps, cougar, long-range elimination. 
you get this hyperactive intro with all these characters and you get all their little jests and jokes and they're back and forth. And they show up, what, to shine a laser on a house. We got satellites. We got Google. Why do we need to shine a laser on a house to show them where to drop a bomb? They're here to save the kids, although they don't know it. That Yes, kids have been brought in. I think it's the passing line is mentioned that they're drug mules, that they're going to be given off the drugs that Fidel has in his house. He's going to use them in inappropriate ways, and it is going to require these people to intervene and save their lives for an extra five minutes. I will say, though, I'm kind of pulled in by this kinetic opening. Jacob, you said you're going to know whether this is a movie you like or not in the opening. It's very fast-paced. I can't even keep track if there's five or six losers. They've got these title cards that come up in a very comic booky style. If I didn't know this was based on a comic, it would have been a bit more jarring. You've got Black Betty, the classic rock song playing in the background. It's a very kinetic, fast-paced, banter-filled opening. I'm liking these guys, even if I'm not sure even if they're attacking a drug lord or a terrorist. They seem to use both terms in the movie. Well, remember, if you smoke pot, you were helping the terrorist after 9-11. So he's both. I think what we have here, as we've seen in the other DC Hitmen, is a situation in which, in order to align the audience with the killer, you need to give them a more reprehensible target And you need to give the characters a soft heart. And that's what they establish here. Well, this other guy is going to load kids up with guns and or drugs. And these people are going to stop a mission to protect them. So no matter what else they do in this movie, we know from this opening shot that they're well-intentioned, good people, and we should like them. Theoretically. I do like the banter, like Arnie said. I do like this group. And throughout this film, I think... They had a lot of fun (laughs) filming this. You know, these are guys I want to hang out with and watch. Unfortunately, it's when we get to the action that things are going to let me down. You know, they have eight minutes to save these kids. and They go into this compound and start shooting things up. And, you know, someone gets blown up and it freezes on them. We get our shaking cams. I really feel the action is just kind of rote. And I wish it had the same kind of energy that when these guys are just sitting around bannering have. Wow. I'm standing exactly opposed to you, Jacob. Because I don't want to go out drinking with these guys because they make me feel old. Because I don't know who they are. Chris Evans is the one who I know well, Idris Elba. But I don't know Jeffrey Dean Morgan or Oscar Yaneda. I feel like if this was a movie from my era, it would be like Kurt Russell and Danny Trejo and maybe Ice Cube down there. And definitely LL Cool J in The Pooch Roll. <laughs> a real missed opportunity for Mr. Cool J. This is my second time seeing this film. I didn't see it when it came out in theaters. I saw it once it came out on home video, and I didn't even realize that Chris Evans was in it. He's so puny in this film compared to, you know, now that he's Captain America. I like the energy. I get a vibe that these people have a history together. That's all I'm saying. Well, you know what? I'm not the action fan. I'm going to put out there, I've never seen an episode of the A-Team, either on television or the movie. And even I knew, this is a ripoff of the A-Team. This is exactly what they have, right? They go rogue, they're betrayed, they burn their dog tags, they have to strike out on their own and take new missions. What in the comic book is different about the A-Team and the Losers? The setup is very much an A-team setup. There's no denying that. The writer doesn't deny that. That was the basic setup. Hey, let's do a 21st century A-team. But it's a lot more political when they get into it. They're facing off against the CIA. I mean, you watch those A-team episodes. I remember one where they're like fighting bad dudes with watermelon launchers. You know, that A-team, they're there to help you against some petty thief. These guys were going after the CIA, trying to expose all those conspiracies, you know, going back to Vietnam and smuggling drugs and body bags back to the States, all those kind of things. You know, there's this great political web that they were trying to expose, and that was a lot of the fun in it, was the stakes were really big. Yeah, that is a precarious thing that they're trying to do here. They're essentially soft-selling it. But what we will see here is that it is the U.S., that fires on the chopper and kills all the kids. Right, because I got it right, correct? Max is CIA. He doesn't seem to have any superiors, and he does kill Indian scientists, but he's working for the government. It is the government, the U.S. government, who wants the snooks, right? 
it's so clouded. I believe that was the intent, and then I think that that was backed away from. We do not know. All we are really to understand is that Jason Patrick betrays everyone, kills anyone in his employment, is unethical, unloyal to anyone and any person. He is the biggest bad that they can offer, thereby making these hitmen look good by comparison. But they don't really want to get into the politics. I would say that this movie is as apolitical as it gets. Which is a big change from the comic, I think. I, you know, I never got the sense that it was necessarily the government. Maybe Max the Illuminati. This was a secret government that had control of the CIA, control of all these different aspects. In the comic, there's no such thing as a snook. <laughs> this is totally made up. They get into some weird, almost sci-fi type stuff in this movie that the comic was much more grounded, much more about the politics, whereas this film, hey, we're going to take some jabs at the CIA, but we're also going to back off and look at this crazy plot where we're dematerializing islands. Yeah, if they wanted that movie, I guess they would have hired Oliver Stone. Instead, they got someone that works for for cheap that makes flashy music videos and schlocky horror movies and... This is exactly the kind of movie I never want to watch. I mean, I know instantly. I know from the <laughs> moment when the chopper is blown down and we see the smoldering teddy bear, there's no hope for me here. There is nothing for me in The Losers at all. This is absolutely not my movie at all. It's a movie in which characters are types and they all have one trick. You know, they're all a team supposedly because they can do one thing cool although they're all pretty interchangeable, and I think there's at least one too many of them, quite frankly. But, yeah, I don't connect with any single character here in Bolivia. I'm not invested in their plight to get home. I think they give us two characters that make us feel like we want to see them get to America. And, for me, this is really clicking with me. I like this. I understand it's not going to be deep character exploration. I don't want that. I do agree with you, one character too many, because, unlike you, Stuart, I watched Every episode of the A-Team back in its original run, including the later season where they added a fifth A-Team member and it jumped the shark. This is taking me back to great squad-based TV and film. I like it when you have a team where each person's power complements another's. Be it the X-Men, be it the A-Team, be it a video game or a movie, I think that's a dynamic where everyone has to rely on each other to succeed that really works. And I kind of like it in this sort of way when you've got the classic rock going. Again, I always go back to Armageddon. If you want to talk about a movie where there's absolutely no character development, they're all just types and they're just doing things, but you can have a good time with it, I would say Armageddon is that. And so when they're in Bolivia, I get exactly what this movie's going to be. But I'm just hoping that I'm going to have a really fun time watching it, and it's going to be fluff. And when it's over, I won't remember it too much, but I'll have a fun time watching it. They kind of throw me a bone. They give me two characters that have a little bit of soul, or at least they have some connection to the country they're now disenfranchised from. You got Chris Evans, who really loves his niece so much, he's going to put on a pink jersey for her soccer team, and... His character arc is getting back for her big game. <laughs> and then we have a slightly more believable conflict with Pooch. His wife is pregnant. They eventually tap into some grocery store security camera footage. And seeing her shopping alone, he sees the baby bump. And he wants to get back in time to see his child be born. That's pretty much it. Everyone else is just there to be cool. Cougar wears a hat. And he doesn't talk much. And Roke is a complainer. Clay is sort of the leader, but Jeffrey Dean Morgan has always seen like the poor man's George Clooney to me. You know, his claim to fame was Grey's Anatomy. Never watched Grey's Anatomy. I was more of an ER man. The only thing I really knew him from when I looked him up on IMDb was playing the comedian in Watchmen, another comic book movie from the year before where he's completely unrecognizable. Yeah, I'm sure we'll get to that one day. Yeah, I think one of the challenges with a team dynamic, and you know, we've talked about the X-Men. I like when you have characters with different abilities and they come together and they each use them to solve a problem. The challenge, though, is how do you 
craft a backstory for each one? How do you get us invested in each one? With X-Men, you got a ton of characters. You're going to focus, well, on Wolverine, because he's the most popular, you know? With this, though, this is a smaller group. There's five of them, so they could have taken some time. Get it to the backstory. Give us a little something. It doesn't take much. Pooch, okay, got a pregnant wife, wants to get back to be there when she gives birth to their child. It's a simple thing. It doesn't take a lot of time, but it's in there. I don't know why they couldn't have worked something in for these other characters to help us get a little bit more invested. You know what I'm thinking? Navy SEALs. Remember that Charlie Sheen movie? That's what this has taken me back to. Another movie I refuse to watch. Yeah. (laughs) That probably is exactly what it's like and why I'm resenting being here. But you know what? To that (laughs) point, I think it's because Chris Evans and Columbus Short are the two star quality kind of people here. Not to diss the other ones, but they get to be the funny ones. They get to be the lighthearted ones. They're the ones with the sass that get to light up the screen. Everyone else is kind of sulking. They're just not a lot of fun to watch here, particularly because this whole thing is shot in this really green, ugly cinematography. And I'm thinking that this must be a plot about revenge. And then in walks Aisha. Zoe Sedania, Star Trek, Avatar... She seems to be everywhere. I like her a lot in other movies. I feel like she's an emerging star. She has some good screen presence. I do think she was the heart of Avatar in many ways, but obviously has been kind of buried in that movie, literally by the computer graphics that were used to disguise her. Star Trek, she's played a supporting role. You know, they gave her a Spock love interest, but I have yet to see her really grab a movie and and be center stage. I guess I didn't see Columbiana or whatever that was, but I'm waiting for her star vehicle here. I'm wondering how she's going to play with all the boys here. It's such a macho crew. What role can Aisha have? And will they go the route of she's as tough as all the boys or will she soften them and, you know, have them all doing girly things by the end? That's what I'm curious about when she enters the picture. I have seen Columbiana. She does definitely have a presence. There's something exotic about her. She's sexy. There's something about the way she moves, but she's also very tough. She's someone that catches my eye, at least. Her introduction here is truly awesome, because I love this opening fight between her and Clay. I usually don't like it when a woman and a guy are fighting and the guy punches her in the face. It usually makes me feel icky and like I'm watching the Ike and Tina story all over again. They're fighting, but it's really sex. But no, here, I thought it was going to go that way. I honestly thought they were going to fuck with the hotel burning around them. They don't, and I'm glad they don't. They metaphorically do, though. I mean, come on, (laughs) there's so much sex dripping in this fight. Maybe that just says something about me. (laughs) I see it as flirtation, but she kicks so much ass that when he punches her, I don't feel like he's beating up a woman. I feel like he's doing what he has to do because he's getting his ass handed to him. And she is doing these high kicks and these flips. I really am immediately won over to her more than anyone else by the way she kicks Clay's ass. Yeah, I don't like these other people, so I'm hoping to like her. And, you know, it's a good song. I just want to put it out there. I like the kills. You Are a Fever, good song to uh, wreck a room with. Not sure why a TV burns the place down, but literally they knock over a TV and it starts the fire. CRTs hold a lot of voltage. I went with it. Yeah. I do like they just walk away from this burning hotel like, yeah, we're pissed off about these dead children, but we're going to let this building burn. It's that kind of movie. It's a movie that, yes, uses children's props and then destroys everything. I mean, it's as nihilistic as the villain it pretends we should all hate. This has as much soul as Max. But it doesn't need soul if it's fun, and it's kind of fun at this point. I'm laughing when you see these tough guys building Bolivian dolls. I'm excited when Alicia and Clay are going at it and beating up this hotel room. It's not art, but then we do have the Max story that we're getting. And here is where I feel it almost has devolved into self-parody. Jason Patrick, he can do whatever he wants. He can do Rush, he can do Speed 2. He'll always be the lost boy to me. I used to feel sorry for Jason Patrick. You know, he did have an Entertainment Weekly cover story early in his career that literally his face just blown up all over saying, why isn't he a star? You want to know? Watch The Losers. (laughs) He's terrible. And he's terrible in many things. I gave him a pass on Speed 2. I said, oh, Keanu wouldn't have made that movie any better. It was a bad concept. 
But he sunk that movie. When I finally sat down to watch it, watching him mirthlessly try to get through the action, he just seems like the kind of actor that would rather be doing stage work, be doing serious, dramatic parts like his father, who incidentally played the priest in Exorcist. But when he works in Hollywood movies, he is in these schlocky, crappy genre movies, and he's always terrible. From the Alamo to the Solar Babies to this, he is easily the worst thing about this movie. And in fact, I'll go one step further. I can't think of a worse villain in a comic book movie than Max. And this is a change from the comic. Max, in the comics, he's much more like Dr. Claw from Inspector Gadget, always in the shadows, you know. You never really know who he is. Here, they just throw him out. We know who Max is right away. There's no secret here. We get no twist. The joke is apparently that he just will kill you. It doesn't matter what you're doing for him. He will just kill you. And he has a henchman. One of the earlier setups is that he nods at him, and the henchman just assumes that's his cue to throw the guy off the roof. And they was just only supposed to break his nose or something. But we're meant to laugh because he is soulless and betrays everyone who works for him. Which begs the question, why does anyone work for him? Well, he only kills those who don't work at his level. And, like, the guy who throws the one off the roof, his name's Wade. And I never feel like Max would kill Wade. At one point, we're supposed to think that, but he only kills those who screw up. So if you are good at your job, you're, I guess, supposed to be thinking he's going to take you to riches and success. But this humor does not work. This... Throwing off the roof, and I was just giving you the break a finger nod. I'm groaning, and all of a sudden I realized a movie is only as good as its villain, and this one is going to suck. He needs to have something really powerful, because him as the brain and Wade as the brawn is not working from scene one. Scene one with these Indians on the roof. First of all, it's very jarring that we spent so much time in Bolivia, and now we're up on this roof in Dubai. Then to find out this is the guy from the radio, it just reeks of bad. I got a tip out there for anyone working on an action script. If you want your pages read, do not make a story in which every scene is at a different place in a different city. I can't tell you, this town could be wallpapered and the scripts that come in where every scene is now we're in Bolivia, now we're in New Mexico, now we're in Miami, and this whole whirlwind tour where they can never stay in a place. Basically, it's got ADD, and yeah, this movie just can't sit still. It was all shot in Puerto Rico. They go all over the globe trying to give us the impression of internationalism. I actually do like the way they introduce the locales, like it's painted on the street. That I went with, it's just kind of a cool visual flair. This movie's full of good visual flair. There's a lot of pretty eye candy to it. But I am having trouble keeping straight where they are, why they are there. The one thing that the A-Team had going is primarily they were in Los Angeles. Budgetary reasons, yes. <laughs> this is something from the comic. It's a very international story, hopping from country to country. Arnie, you say you like all the flashy graphics. Yeah, it's flash. It goes all over the place. Like, we get a scene at the U.S.-Mexico border where we see they were smuggled in coffins, and we get the slow-mo walk as they go to get their revenge. You know, it's just a little too much for me. A little? This is the kind of garbage that came out in the 90s every week when every Hollywood movie wanted to be Tarantino. This is so desperate to be hip and just terrible. But you're right. The central blame here is at its core. It has a really rotten villain with a inscrutable plan, and the worst MacGuffin. A snook? It would be cool if it had a better name, wouldn't it? <laughs> no, not in this movie. I'm sorry, when you get this shot of an island being dematerialized, I'm all of a sudden wondering what film I'm in. I, I just see black ops troops in the jungles of Bolivia, and now I'm watching... I don't know what this is all of a sudden. Are you telling me that terrorists want to be environmentally friendly? This is beyond ridiculous. It starts to play as parody. I now step back from the movie that I think I'm watching and now think that this is an attempt to mock those kinds of movies. That this is not emulating A-Team. It is a Mel Brooks satire of the A-Team. 
I get that a lot when I see Max on the screen. I can't decide if they're trying to be cool or if they're trying to be funny and basically like Tropic Thunder. They're not smart enough to be funny is the problem. I think they'd like to have it both ways. I'm going to pin most of that on Max. When we get to the losers, I think the losers do a much better job of it. You've got Chris Evans, who's playing your comic relief. I think he's horribly miscast as a hacker because I've thought a lot of things about Chris Evans. Wildly intelligence has never been one of them. I mean, this is a man who got his career started with a banana up his ass, but... When he's breaking into that building and he's caught in the elevator literally with his pants down and then he's pretending to have finger guns, I'm laughing. I'm enjoying their camaraderie. I'm enjoying Pooch in the helicopter. My problem is I think that what I said about Chris Evans applies to all of them. I think they are miscast. And yeah, Stuart, what you said about there being one too many, I think another problem is very few of them get the screen time to be defined. We get a lot of time with Chris Evans. We get a lot of time with Clay. We get a little bit of Roke. But the Sniper and Pooch, they're almost just there to round out an ethnic diversity quota. I don't think that there are characters here. I mean, I'll just put it that bluntly. I think that if you're laughing, then the movie is exceeding for you. Its sole intent is to make violence look cool and funny. My eyes are so glazed over at this point. When we get to Miami, I'm at least relieved because this was what I thought the plot was. It's a revenge plot. They're going to get Max. Well, they get him, or they think they get him. They scoop his car up with one of those you-only-live-twice magnets that uh, wheel him away. I thought that was kind of fun. You did not think he was in there, right? Because that was far too easy. I Like, there's no way that we're not seeing this character. We've seen him in Dubai. Why would we not be seeing him in the back of the trunk shouting orders and killing henchmen? I didn't think they had him, but I did think that the movie would be doing something different. I didn't think they would be finding a hard drive. I can tell you that. No, because that would be stupid. (laughs) This would be a gag to get Chris Evans to do a bike messenger bit. You don't want to listen to some journey? I was still laughing when they were playing it at the end, I tell you. One (laughs) joke and they don't let it go. Like pit bulls, they hang on to these jokes. I kind of liked the journey. I will just put it out there. I liked the bike messenger bit. That was really funny. In a movie where a lot of the jokes aren't working, that one was. That whole bike messenger scene kind of worked. But the ludicrousness about a hard drive that's a bearer bond that they could trace to certain locations, the plot wasn't working for me if the energy the actors brought was. I think they're having a real good time after filming with each other. I'm not having such a good time watching him. It's weird. There are... Scenes in this movie taken from the comic panel for panel when they're in New Mexico and they hijack the copter. It's it, almost word for word when they fill the truck with gasoline panel from panel from the comic. But then they throw in a damn hard drive that's used to transfer money. Like whenever it seems they deviate from the comic in this film, it's not just because it's different from the comic. It's because it's bad choices. I disagree. I don't think it matters. This to me is like lethal weapon logic. We're just having fun. We're going to invent a reason to go here. Next, we'll be over there. We're just going to keep things moving. And as long as you're laughing, it's working. I think that this movie is entirely recommendable as long as you're fine with its crudity and its one joke. I want to point out, you say it's funny when Chris Evan goes into the Goliath and does a bit where he pretends to be psychic and gun down security guards that are just doing their job. And yet they must die for our amusement so that he could get a good bid in. I didn't think that was funny at all. Pity the poor fake guards. Come on. A joke's a joke. And this is the kind of movie where I'm okay with them being killed. You're okay with Renacops being shot up so that these schmucks could get in and steal some money? I'm not. I don't like these guys. They didn't save the kids. They haven't done one thing that's noble. It should be pointed out. It all comes to the writing, because in the comic, they have a reason for shooting these security guards. They're not just innocent security guards. Like, it seems like they went out of their way to just make this a music video, to make this a pop action film, where, isn't it funny Chris Evans singing the song, and then it actually plays during an action scene? Like, whatever the direction or the writing or whatever, that's where I feel this film really fails, because there is good source material, and they've stuck to that. It's funny, you're bringing up all these issues, and it's where they deviate, Stuart, that you're having these issues. And yet you're still not telling me that I want to read the comic. (laughs) I can tell you. 
I don't want to read anything of this. I'm just, it's not my thing. More to the point than I'm not enjoying it. It's just not going to connect with me. You know, this is really adolescent stuff that was the very definition of action movies in the 80s. It's why I don't like action movies. I'm looking at it right here. I'm doing my best to be fair about this film, saying the things that I liked because Stuart is oozing hate at it. And I think there are things in here to like. But the things you're defending as being miles above these other things, I don't think that the great source material is that great. There's high points and low points, and the low point being primarily Max for me, which, like you said, wasn't in the book until the very end. But I don't think that this has high enough highs that it would stand out and, yeah, make me want to go read the comic to see more of these losers. It's just appeasing enough to appeal to my basest instincts. If you like the jokes, if you like how the team's getting along, it's a lot better in that source material. But for me, it's that team dynamic that really sells the book. And I get that for the first half here. Not every joke is working for me, but I like when they're going on these missions. It's just when we get into the actually how this action stuff is shot, that's where I have that problem. Stuart, you keep saying 80s and 90s. I'm right there with you. It's this 80s action with a slightly like Tarantino spin where we're going to do freeze frame and things like that that loses me. There's just not a lot of creativity. That can get kind of boring. I don't mind explosions in movies. I love them. I defended G.I. Joe. But be creative in that. That's all I'm asking. I'm not getting that creativity here. No, this is a definition of bland. Average can be good, and average can be bad. And at this point, I'm realizing I'm not invested. I'm not invested in the losers because none of them have stood out. Even Clay, who gets the absolute most screen time, he's their leader, he's the one having a tryst with Aisha, but Clay is perhaps the least interesting loser of all. He has no defining characteristic, he has no skill, he's a colonel, he's the leader. But what does he do? He gets the girl, that's what he is meant to do, is that he is someone defined by not having anything, and by the end of it, he has someone to care about, I guess. You know, he cares about everyone, or at least these are lines of dialogue. He allegedly cares too much about everyone, but he has no one in his life. He has no family. He has no friends. He has no true connections that he would protect over any other. And by the end of this, he will have a girlfriend that promises to kill him one day, but it's a girlfriend. I agree. He's not interesting, but he's still doing better than poor Cougar. Which one's Cougar? (laughs) Cougar still has his cool hat on. Yeah, Cougar gets to play off of a hat. I like Cougar because he's a sniper. I've always had a thing for snipers, so that's working for me. Snipers aren't supposed to be too talkative, so I'm okay with that. Pooch? Pooch, I think, is supposed to be the funny one, but if he's the funny one, who's Chris Evans? No, Chris Evans is the funny one. Pooch is the one that's relatable. Yeah, Pooch is the heart. You know, he's trying to get back to his pregnant wife. Right. Those are the two that I hold on to. If I'm going to be at gunpoint, it would take a SWAT team (laughs) to get me to say like. For As far as the two that I'm focusing on, it's Chris Evans, it's Pooch, because they're quote-unquote the funny ones, the ones with some humanity. I mean, I just tune off when a movie is about shooting people and laughing. And it's not a high moral principle thing. I'm not opposed to violence. God knows I like horror movies. I just think that this is dull. I just think that this is reminding me of a bad summer movie from the 80s that I, you know, just would not have watched. I'm taken back to canon films, action movies. I do think there's an audience for it. It's just not me. The original comic authors envisioned the comics as basically a love letter to the Shane Black films of the 80s and 90s. Right. Okay. A letter I wouldn't open. It would go out with the bills and the (laughs) junk mail from Ed McMahon. And I'm a Shane Black fan, so maybe that's why I'm going with more of this. So I'm curious to know, I'm hearing some push and pull. How are you feeling as far as the action? Jacob, you're saying no on the action. Arnie, where are you? I get confused by a lot of it. I think the director sucks at action. The editor is great at taking shitty shot action (laughs) and clipping it so quickly that it feels kinetic. But the staging of it is so bland, I don't know what's going on or why. If you want to see a great, great example of how to shoot an action scene and edit it together in a great way, later the same year, A-Team. 
A-Team had some of the most inventively edited and shot action sequences I've seen, succeeding at what the losers are exactly trying to do here. But because I don't care about any of the characters, I just want them to make me laugh, but I haven't clicked with any of them, I don't get any of them, I can't follow any of them, I'm not even sure who is where doing what in certain scenes. Where was Chris Evans when they were hijacking that truck? I know where Pooch was, I know where Clay was, I know where the sniper was, but there's too many and the action scenes are turning me away from it, not pulling me into it. And that is where this movie is differing from other films with equally poor characterizations that I can get behind. Yeah, I'm yawning during these action scenes. These are boring scenes that do not hold my interest. And it requires both for you to like it. You can laugh at something and still feel not invested. Because to me, in my take on looking at the genre, it always seemed like the explosions were just part of the punchline. I never thought of action told in this way, this kind of hopped up 80s way, was ever meant to be taken realistically. I mean, you just can't get invested in these moments. They just don't have a tactile feel to them. But you can still go with them if they're creative, if they're kinetic, if they're inventive, if it's doing something you haven't seen before, doing it in a different way. In the 80s, that meant having things blow up in different ways. But now, with CGI, blowing up isn't enough. You need more than TNT. I'm still waiting for something to happen in the script. I thought it would happen in Miami, and really nothing is. They come up with two late-in-act-two double crosses. The first of which is, Aisha is the daughter of Fidel. Come on, guys. I mean, I'm not saying I knew that she was the daughter, but if you have been staking out somebody, you should know all of his relatives. You don't go working for someone without knowing who they are. She even says, I have unlimited funds. I can just buy you whatever you need. Like, that's ridiculous on its own. You know you can't trust this person when they're like, yeah, I'll just give you whatever money, whatever equipment you need. Yeah. And ironically, all she wants is money. So she's willing to spend unlimited money to get some money. Uh, there's a vengeance motive as well. I, her father no, died. No, I mean, she doesn't care about him. She just wants her father's money back. Oh, that's what she's talking about. She says, "What I want what was taken. She's literally talking about the cash? Yeah. All right, I'm throwing her in the pile, too. I hate Zoe, too. <laughs> I thought maybe I could find a way to hold on to her. But no, as charismatic as she is, no, she's going into the don't like reject pile as well. There's just nothing here. Yeah, that's her big betrayal is that they thought they were going after him. What they were going after is the money that she could have cashed in. Oh, what a tragedy. Think of all the hats she could be wearing. I mean, ridiculous. These people have unlimited money. You're right. And then the second betrayal, the one that I'm hoping you guys can offer some clarity if there's a reason to go into it. Why exactly does Roke, who has been with them, who watched those children burn in a helicopter, decide to side with Max? He just wants his life back. <laughs> Do you need more than that? That's all it is. Roke is watching the same movie we are. <laughs> he wants out. <laughs> The only person getting laid is Clay. None of them have any real hopes. They're getting dicked around. Clay's thinking with his dick and not his head. He's gotten them to steal a hard drive instead of go after the man they're after. He feels like he's a soldier without a commander. Clay has even said, I'm not your leader anymore. We have no ranks anymore. And so Roke wants to go somewhere else. And remember, Max is government. And these guys were soldiers. So they're used to working for the government. So he teams up with Max. It seems like a bad idea, and I really think that it should have paid off with Max killing him the way Max killed so many other people. That would be the perfect payoff to Max killing so many people and Roke's betrayal. But I kind of get why he did it, because I wouldn't want to hang with these guys either. Oh, okay. Well, I'm glad we're on the same page. I thought this might be me alone here. You guys seem to like the loser's comedy. But we're all on the same page at this point. By the time Roke is going rogue, you're off the boat as well? Yeah, this maybe this was the last straw. Just hands up in the air. Of course one of them has to betray him. Yeah, it's such a rote thing to do. I mean, that's what they should have called him, not Roke, but rote. <laughs> it's just so obvious that someone had to do it. I'm not saying I saw it coming from him, but I just knew that there's got to be these twists. It just feels so formulaic here that it doesn't matter if things make sense we must just keep having double crosses Ugh. i think i would have seen it coming if this wasn't based on a comic book but i thought these were 
are hitmen super friends. I thought these five went on missions for years in the comics. I didn't know anything about the comics. So because of that, that's the only thing that caught me off guard was that that was happening. Like you had said, and I've said this podcast, Stuart, I thought there was one too many. So I was happy that if there's a sequel, there'll only be four. There will be a sequel. And I'm happy. We're here in the port of L.A. Roke's gone rogue. He's betrayed the losers. They get caught. Naisha just shows up with a bazooka. And more things blow up. And there's an airplane. And that blows up. Like, I am so tuned out by this point. I think it's because of Clay. Like, she fell for Clay. And while she betrayed them, she didn't want to see him die. So, or at least not at anybody's hand but hers. You guys are trying to make sense of that, and that's admirable, and it's what we do here. But I, I want to ask, hmm? does this really feel like the kind of movie that would be gratifying by asking why? I mean, do you feel like there are answers to be had here? Could you enjoy the movie if it were well-staged action and still funny, even if it was meaningless? I think it's kind of a three-card Monty thing going on in films. If the action's there and it's new and it's exciting and it's engaging, yes, I will be asking less questions. I'll be enjoying this visual eye candy. But when you don't have that, now my mind starts to wander. Why is this person here? Why is this going on? If you're not holding the teenage boy, I like explosions part of it with some kind of creativity and fun, then yes, I'm going to go to the adult side of it and start wondering what the hell am I watching and why am I watching it? I like my movies, even the ones that are incredibly stupid, to have some kind of logical flow and not just utter randomness. So her showing up here after she betrayed them and they all shoot the living shit out of the bathroom where she's hiding feels like utter randomness. So to try to come up with a character-driven reason why she shows up with a bazooka, she looks badass. Zoe standing atop that thing with the giant bazooka, what does she shoot with it? Absolutely nothing of value. She just shoots in the distance to create an explosion, which by movie logic allows every loser to turn the tables on the people with the guns at their heads. Because the people with the guns are like, and that's all it needs. It's so stupid, but it's kind of cool, a little. Yeah, that's what I'm wondering about, is at what point does cool nihilism becomes stupid because to me it never got out of the gate and looked any different i'm wondering at what point did the beer goggles come off for you guys i don't know if they ever went on with this one <laughs> i'm in the same boat i don't know that they were ever on i'm trying to find enjoyment in what i can and i see what the movie is reaching for i know what they want me to root for and i'm trying to root for it but it's not entirely working ever for me, again, because of the characters and because of the jokes. Yeah, if this is going to work as some kind of satire or parody of 80s and 90s film, go for that. That's fine. You want to have, like, ridiculous explosions that go for that. But this isn't satire. This isn't a parody. They kind of want to have it both ways. Yeah, we're going to make some jokes here and there. But, oh, at the end of the day, yeah, this is a kick-ass action film. Yes, there are people that are highly embarrassed that they like crap. And they made crap, and then they tried to pretend that they were morally superior to the crap. But they're not. Yeah, they have made something as bad as anything Dolph or Arnold or Sly or Van Damme or Jeff Speakman. Or, I mean, we can just keep going lower and lower. Seagal, I mean. <laughs> Cynthia Rothrock. Cynthia Rothrock, yeah, exactly. There's just nothing here that is smarter than that. By using a tag name like, oh, we're losers, by this self-effacing kind of like, isn't this stupid? They're hoping that we won't agree with them. But there's nothing here for me at the end. If there wasn't in the beginning, I'm certainly not one over that they stop the snook. They don't even get Max. They wound him, but Max escapes. Yeah, just so they could have that priceless bit of comedy on the public bus, Arnie. Come on, that's sort of the sequel we're going to get, right? Mm-hmm. Well, there was a cut scene that really led towards the sequel. Because we think Idris Elba bites it on that airplane, right? And Clay kept telling him as soon as the betrayal happened, you're going to die badly. He doesn't really die that badly because he dies in an explosion. To me, dying badly is stage four liver cancer. <laughs> dying in an explosion is pretty quick and painless. But in this cut scene on the Blu-ray, he lived. He's blind in one eye from where Clay gouged him, and he's burned up, but he lives, and he's being hired by 
another CIA spook named Max, played by Chris Noth. They're all named Max? They are all named Max. That doesn't do anything for me. I do like the idea of recasting Jason Patrick, but otherwise that doesn't do anything for me. And Chris Noth, he was kind of good back in the early 90s Law & Order days, but after a decade of romancing Sarah Jessica Parker, he's not a badass. But he does deserve a medal. <laughs> Give it to Matthew Broderick. But that was supposed to set up the sequel. The fact that they cut that scene makes me think that even at the time of theatrical release, they knew that that plot line was never going to get followed up on, so let's give people a more satisfying revenge by killing Idris. Yeah, that's not more satisfying. More satisfying is killing Jason Patrick and not making Idris the bad guy. I like Idris Elba, but hey, I have nothing invested in this. Whatever. Well, I don't know if we need to prolong this anymore. Jacob Stewart... I think you know. So do you recommend The Losers, Jacob? There's so many ways I could go with this not recommend. I mean, the title is The Losers. Don't Stop Believing? Well, I never started. I don't think this is the worst movie we've done, maybe for this Hitman retrospective thus far. But in terms of now playing, in terms of even a DC retrospective, well, we've still got Jonah Hex. I think what's so offensive about this film is how mediocre it is. How... They do have good material here. I like this team dynamic. It, they just squander it halfway through the film. I liked all the banter. I liked a lot of the jokes. Not every joke to work, but the way they go with the action and the way they just try to make this film a little too cool, a little too like a music video, you know. Maybe there are some 14-year-olds out there that really dig this, but I ain't 14 years old anymore. This is not recommend. Stuart. Not recommend. <laughs> I'm done. <laughs> All right, I talk a little because I have to, but I mean, I think it's pretty plain. It just wasn't made for me. It didn't win me over. It has a few performers that I liked in other things. I think Chris Evans has charm. I think the actor playing Pooch has some charm. I think Idris Elba is usually pretty good. He was great on The Wire at any rate, but this is just not how I want to see them. Much like you don't want to see Sylvester Stallone doing Jane Austen, I don't want to see these people in this movie. I just feel like there's nothing here. Well, I seem to have liked it the best of the three of us, and for me, it's a pretty strong not recommend. <laughs> the funny thing is, it's not even strong. It's just a, it's almost like passing an invisible kidney stone. It hurts, <laughs> but it's so empty that it's like nothing even happened. I don't know. Did we watch this movie? <laughs> <laughs> I'm wondering if the listeners think that because this is one of our shorter reviews, but the fact is, I watched it end to end, and... I just never felt invested. It never got anything out of me. And I did everything I could to like this movie because of the cast. But really, that cast that I like is strictly Chris Evans, Jason Patrick, and Idris Elba. And Stuart, everything you've said about Jason Patrick is right. I just keep holding on to the Lost Boys and wanting to like him whenever he shows up. In the end, this movie made me feel old because I didn't know these people and because I felt that if we had more recognizable people in the roles of Pooch and Cougar, all of that, especially Clay, if Clay was giving me a performance to go on, if Clay was giving me what that same year Liam Neeson would give me as Hannibal in the A-Team then this movie could have been so good. I was thinking these were big actors, just not of my generation, and it was the new generation of action film, and the action films that I've loved of the 80s, 90s, and 2000s, I was too old for, and this is the new group, and I'm just not going to pull it off. But hearing you guys talk, it seems like we're all on the same page. It wasn't that these actors are too young for me, and that I don't know them and have a rapport with them. It's that... I think the biggest problem with this is related to the talent chosen. They didn't choose new action heroes. They chose bad actors. And they didn't choose the next John McTiernan. They chose this guy who can't shoot an action scene worth a shit. It is a fine music video, but like a music video, you're never going to get connected to the characters. And I need that if I'm going to invest 90 plus minutes in a movie. The losers are the ones who watch it, not the ones who are in it. I saw it yesterday, and it's already gone. I mean, by morning, it will all have played like a adolescent dream. 
But there's an audience for this. I And I thought sometimes it could be you guys. So I'm pleasantly surprised to hear you are on the same page with me. I thought I'd be standing alone. I felt that if I didn't like this, well, Jacob's sometimes a wild card. And Stuart, every so often you pull a Supergirl. But I was pretty <laughs> sure I knew Stuart wouldn't like this. And Jacob, I thought we'd be three for three. But if I was the only not recommended of the group, then yeah, I was just going to start filling out my AARP registration and call in it a day. Well, speaking of the AARP, maybe you'll have to hold off till next week to do that. Yeah, here's another movie that I haven't seen. I hadn't seen The Losers, but I've at least heard of Red. I wanted to see Red based on the cast, Bruce Willis, Morgan Freeman, John Malkovich. So I'm looking forward to seeing Red 1 to get ready as Red 2's opening in theaters this Friday. Yeah, we're going to get to it. It's going to take a couple weeks, but just hold out there. Hopefully it's worth it. Hopefully you won't have forgotten it. God knows if you were the losers too, nobody would remember it, Arnie, when we reviewed it in two weeks. So I think, you know, we'll see. With this cast, Morgan Freeman, Helen Mirren, there's some real leading lights of acting in here. Some big star power, even Bruce Willis. Yeah, I want to see the movie. I haven't seen it at all, but yeah, let's take a look at Red. It's a bad sign if it's even Bruce Willis. <laughs> All right, so Jacob Stewart will be back next week, and until then, stay wet. Don't even remember what that line's from. Me either. Pinball, this is Chopper 3. Prepare for extraction. My favorite part was when we were completely on fire, but the shootout, that was good times. Thank you for listening to this episode of Now Playing, and we hope you've enjoyed the show. Now I get to walk away. We all would have walked rogue. Come to NowPlayingPodcast.com each week as we review another DC Hitman movie. A more perfect stage could not be asked for. In the archives at NowPlayingPodcast.com, you can hear reviews of hundreds of comic book movies, such as all the Batman and Superman films, the Marvel Avengers films, Spider-Man, Catwoman, Howard the Duck, Man-Thing, Kick-Ass, X-Men, and many more. You can also hear reviews of non-comic-based films, including Star Trek, Predator, James Bond, Rambo, Rocky, and more. Find hundreds of movie review podcasts at nowplayingpodcast.com. It's like giving a handgun to a six-year-old, Wade. You don't know how it's going to end, but you're pretty sure it's going to make the papers. While at nowplayingpodcast.com, be sure to join our forums, where you can discuss this review with other listeners. You can also follow Now Playing on Facebook and Twitter, where the hosts post new episode announcements and written movie reviews. The links to our social media pages can be found at nowplayingpodcast.com. I need you. They're coming. I can feel it. Support from listeners like you help keep Now Playing operating. You can find a link to donate using PayPal at the bottom of our website, nowplayingpodcast.com. How much do you want? $200. Okay. Good deal. I've had more? You'll never know. You can also help Now Playing by leaving a five-star review on iTunes. A link to Now Playing's iTunes listing can be found at nowplayingpodcast.com. Even though I do not know you, I love you. With all my heart, I love you. Now Playing's DC Hitman Retrospective series is edited by Dylan, Jeff, and Arnie. This is a nice town. We have nice people here. We take care of our nice people. You understand me? Now playing credit narration by Brock. We heard his voice. The man with a voice, the man with a throat. The guy's got a throat. Come on. Now playing is not affiliated with the producers of these motion pictures. All movies discussed on Now Playing are the intellectual property of their respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. So it's like that, huh? Yeah. It's like that. The opinions expressed in Now Playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Venganza Media Incorporated. As the authenticity of this document cannot be verified, it could be an elaborate forgery created by the terrorist as easily as it could be the deranged fantasy of a former party member who resigned for psychological reasons. Any discussion of this document or its contents will be regarded at the very least as an act of sedition, if not a willful act of treason. Now playing as a Venganza Media production, copyright 2013, all rights reserved, and no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Venganza Media Incorporated.
Frank, how many times have I told you you cannot trust the system? I told you when you're in the system, they switch the flip and you're done. Today we're discussing The Losers, starring Jeffrey Dean Morgan, Zoe Zadal, Zoe Z Saldana, Saldana, Saldana. I'm Arnie, your loser co-host of Now Playing. Stuart and I. Did he disconnect? I don't show him disconnected. Stuart, you with us? We can't hear you, Stuart. Hello, hello, hello. Is there anybody out there? Can anybody hear me? And Chris Evans, for that matter, but... And Chris Evans... Hold on. He's gonna go hitman that dog. Yeah, he is. Another generic actioner. Who went Hello? by that plane? Oh, my plane? Is that your plane? Yeah. Oh, okay. I have the Harley. He has the plane. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, there's nothing I can do about that. I live, you know, <laughs> 20 minutes from the airport. Can you take care of that, Stuart? Come on. And by the beach. Yeah, I know. I'll send the chihuahuas. <laughs> On a Harley. After the airplane. The losers would. Yeah. <laughs> what do I got? Bolivia! I haven't thought about Bolivia since Quantum of Solace. But that's where the story begins. And... God, we got nothing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, let me try a different take. I'll go a different take. I'm feeling like if this were my era, it would be... Oh God, what's his name? Who plays Machete? Of course, uh, my mind goes blank. I can't remember. He's your era. Oh, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> He's that, it should be the guy that I love that I can't remember his name. Yeah, that, the, the, the messed up guy with all the tats that you would <laughs> I got it. It's Trejo. Oh, yeah. I have... Is it Columbia? Columbia? How do you say it? Do you want to do anything about Pooch getting the baby? I mean, there's nothing. <laughs> this movie is just an, it's just boxes within boxes. You're like, we could talk about this and talk about how it doesn't do anything. <laughs> yes, we could. Or we could just move on. Yes, I'm ready. God, yes. 